Inter Podcast. There are numbers that in the history of football have a very different symbolic value than the others. Just to give a few examples, the goalkeeper is universally recognized as the number one. The center forward remains for all the number nine. Very different from the false nueve people are talking about too much in the last few years. Then we can talk about the number seven, the talented winger, and the number five, rocky defensive bastion. However, in this series of podcasts, we want to focus on the number par excellence, the one with a capital N, the most iconic number in the football world. Because, let's say it, what would football be without number 10? 10. 10. Number 10. Number 10. 10. Number 10s. March the 3rd, 1998. Inter-Schalke, the first leg of the UEFA Cup quarter-final, held at San Siro. A ball is played into the box and makes its way to the feet of a Brazilian forward wearing Inter's prestigious number 10 shirt. That night, Inter didn't don the classic black and blue stripes, but black and grey hoops with yellow trim an inter-shirt that would acquire iconic status. But back to our story and our number 10 who got hold of possession. He was surrounded by a host of defenders who ushered him towards the goal line. He appeared trapped, nowhere to go. In that position, most players would have looked for support and tried to pass it to a teammate. Not this player. He shielded the ball as two defenders came bearing down on him. He managed to beat the first with a dummy. A dummy performed at such speed, the defender didn't know what had just hit him. One down, our number 10 set about shaking off the next defender, who was also about to be made to look foolish. He switched the ball from one foot to the other and got past his marker by playing it through his legs. The so-called nutmeg. They don't teach you those kind of things in training. Those are the kind of skills picked up playing out on the streets, which is where the legend of this number 10 started out. We're talking about Luis Nazario de Lima. Known simply as Ronaldo, the Phenomenon. Rio de Janeiro, September 1976. The 22nd, to be precise. A pregnant woman is rushed to the hospital. She is about to give birth to her third child. A nurse working there at the hospital proves so helpful and kind during the birthing process that the woman asks for his name. The man replied, Ronaldo, madam, my name is Ronaldo. Our Ronaldo was born in Bento Ribeiro a working-class district northwest of the immense metropolis that is Rio de Janeiro, a city renowned for its sights and attractions. The statue of Christ the Redeemer, the beaches of Copacabana and Ipanema, and the Sugarloaf Mountain emerging from the Atlantic Ocean right in front of the Gulf of Rio de Janeiro. 
But for all its appeal and landmarks, the city also has its vices and a reputation for crime, drugs, weapons and violence. But fortunately for Ronaldo, he was protected from all of this. He was born and grew up in a so-called suburbio, a very different place from the infamous favelas. And so, it was in the suburbio of Bento Ribeiro that Ronaldo started to play football. He did so all day long and for all the days of his childhood, a childhood that was centered around football. He would ask for a football as a Christmas gift and make sure it lasted until the following one. A story like most other kids, you might think. No, Ronaldo's story is not an ordinary one, and we'll soon find out why. Logic would suggest that seeing as he was born and raised in Rio, Ronaldo would be unearthed and picked up by one of the big teams of that city. Flamengo, Botafogo, Fluminense or Vasco da Gama, you would think, would have done everything and anything to capture Ronaldo's signature. But strangely, they didn't. At the age of 15, he packed up his few possessions and moved to Belo Horizonte, 500 kilometers north of Rio, to play for Cruzeiro. His displays there were impressive and enough to earn him a call-up for the 1994 World Cup. Brazil won the tournament, but Ronaldo, assigned the number 20 jersey, was reduced to a mere spectator role and didn't feature once. The star forward in that Brazil team was a certain Romário, at the peak of his powers and in a position to advise the young Ronaldo. He told him, If you want to go to Europe, I know just a place for you. Sure, it's a bit cold, but after all, I had a good time there. Summer if you can call it summer, as we are talking about continental northern Europe, 1994. Ronaldo got off the plane that took him to Eindhoven, inland south of Holland, a place where the maximum temperature reaches 23 degrees in August, the same temperature recorded in Rio on any winter day, a place where a difficult language like Dutch is spoken, a place that has very little in common with Brazil, except for one thing, football. Romario sent Ronaldo to PSV Eindhoven because he knew that he would find the right club for his talent to start flourishing. And Romario's prediction came true. In two years, and wearing the number nine shirt, Ronaldo fired in the goals for PSV. Soon, the major European clubs were all lining up for that 19-year-old Brazilian everyone was already calling the phenomenon. Inter and then club president Massimo Moratti was among the admirers, but in the end, it was Barcelona that beat off the competition and landed the Brazilian ace. Summer 1996, Ronaldo arrived in Catalonia. He was handed the number 9 Blaugrana shirt and ready to take La Liga by storm. It proved a memorable season, playing in a team comprising of players such as Guardiola, Luis Enrique, Figo, Blank and Stoichkov. Overseeing things from the dugout was Sir Bobby Robson, assisted by a young and ambitious Portuguese coach, José Mourinho. Not a bad environment, and Ronaldo inevitably shone. Power, class 
technique, he left the fans speechless. A second-place finish in the league, a bucket full of goals and two trophies were secured in his first season. But we can't mention his time at Barcelona without making reference to that goal against Compostela. He picked up the ball in midfield. He was pulled, pushed, held back, but he could not be toppled. Ronaldo weaved his way through his opponents before slotting the ball home. We all remember the goal, but also the image of his coach, Bobby Robson, watching on astounded by what he had just witnessed. He had never seen a player score goals like that before. Ronaldo ended that season a Barcelona hero, not only for all the goals he scored, but also for the skill displayed out on the pitch. Barcelona would have done anything to keep him another 10 years, and a clause in his contract meant that looked the case. But the Phenomenon's admirers would stop at nothing to get their man. The summer of 97 proved decisive. It would change the life of Ronaldo forever. But before tackling the issue of his future, he flew to Bolivia to play for his national side in the 97 Copa America. Brazil breezed past the group stage, eliminated Paraguay in the quarterfinals with two goals from Ronaldo before overwhelming Peru in the semi-finals, winning by a whopping seven goals to nil. Then the final in La Paz. Altitude 3,640 meters above sea level against the host nation Bolivia, more accustomed to those heights and playing in those conditions. Nevertheless, Bolivia were denied a fairy tale victory on home soil. The match ended 3-1 in favor of Brazil, with Ronaldo netting the second goal 10 minutes before time, a left foot screamer that soared into the top corner. Brazil claimed the 97 Copa America, and Ronaldo returned to Europe with another feather in his cap. Ronaldo at this point was no doubt the hottest property in football. The man of the moment was in high demand, and Barcelona received countless requests for the Brazilian star. They resisted, but only until Inter and club president Massimo Moratti paid the 51 billion lira buyout clause to secure the services of the phenomenon. It was, at the time, the most expensive signing in Inter history and was a turning point for Italian football. And from that moment on, nothing was quite the same as before. The 25th of July, 1997. The atmosphere in Milan was electric, and the fans were in a frenzy as they gathered in front of the Inter HQ in Via Durini. The most sought-after player in the game had signed for Inter and took the chance to appear at the window to salute his new supporters. Wearing a cap on his completely shaved head, which became the most popular look that summer amongst the young Inter fans, Ronaldo held aloft an Inter scarf. It was not a dream. Ronaldo, the phenomenon, was officially a Nerazzurri player, ready to wear the number 10 shirt. With that beaming smile stamped on his face, he was ready to wow his adoring public. Ronaldo had been chosen to make Inter great again, 
handpicked by club president Massimo Moratti, who was eager to emulate the success of his father, Angelo, president of the Grande Inter side of the 60s. Ronaldo was seen as the missing piece of the puzzle, and few players had ever sparked such enthusiasm amongst the Inter supporters. It was a historic moment. The arrival of the phenomenon was a defining moment. From that point on, they began talking of a pre- and post-Ronaldo Inter. And it's no coincidence that Inter sold more season tickets than Milan for the first time in the 1990s. The Ronaldo effect, of course. But that's a story for another day. The 31st of August, 1997. A date that lives long in the mind, because that day, the world woke up to the devastating news of a tragic accident that occurred during the Parisian night. In the Place de l'Alma tunnel, a car crashed into its 13th pillar. Dodi Al-Fayed and Diana Spencer, better known as Lady Diana, former wife of Prince Charles, were inside that car. A tragedy that shocked all corners of the globe. And it was in that surreal climate that the curtain came up on the Serie A season later that day. Inter started the new campaign at home to Brescia in an afternoon kickoff. Many had ended their summer holidays early to come back to see Ronaldo's bow with the Nerazzurri shirt. In reality, it was not the first time the Brazilian had set foot inside San Siro. A month earlier, on July the 27th, San Siro had welcomed Sir Alex Ferguson's Manchester United for a friendly in the Pirelli Cup. On that occasion, the Inter fans had given the phenomenon the warmest of welcomes. The mascots, donning Inter shirts and Pirelli caps, swarmed around the Brazilian forward as he was unveiled to the crowd. For the record, it ended 4-1 to Inter after penalties, but it was Ronaldo who hogged the limelight, making a 17-minute cameo appearance. But the match with Brescia was a different kettle of fish altogether. This was a competitive match worth three points. On paper, Brescia appeared the perfect way for Ronnie to start his inter-career with a bang. But Inter's smaller regional rivals clearly hadn't read the script. With 17 minutes to go, Andrea Pirlo played it upfield to Dario Hubner, who broke the ice for Brescia and silenced San Siro. Luckily for the Inter faithful, another debutant, Alvaro Recoba, came off the bench and saved the day. The Uruguayan scored a brilliant brace to turn the game on its head and give Inter maximum points. It was supposed to have been Ronaldo's day, but he had been overshadowed by Recoba. A tricky start, for sure, but it did not set the tone for things to come. In fact, he quickly turned it around, making sure that the 1997-98 season went down as the best in his inter-adventure and arguably the best of his career. The supporters had to wait two weeks to see Ronaldo celebrating. The date was the 14th of September 1997, Bologna Inter. Ronaldo received the ball from Drakaf, beat off his marker, and buried it with a left-foot strike to the near post. 
It was the first time Inter fans saw that iconic goal celebration with the arms outstretched, reminiscent of the Christ the Redeemer statue in Ronaldo's native Rio de Janeiro. That goal was the first of many celebrated in that manner. In fact, the goal celebration would inspire a successful and memorable Pirelli advertising campaign. But again, that's another story for another day. That season, Ronaldo was the main man. There was barely a game when he didn't leave his mark. Because the Ronaldo of that 1997-98 season, wearing our number 10 shirt, was simply unstoppable. For his goals, yes, but also for much, much more. A potent mix of power, technique and speed, he ran rings around opponents. Ronaldo was one step ahead of the rest and showed his prolific streak, putting his name on the score sheet time and time again. After opening his account away to Bologna, the goals flowed. At home or abroad, Serie A or UEFA Cup, it made no difference to Ronaldo. He closed out 1997 in style, scoring in three consecutive league games, cementing his reputation as the undisputed king of the black and blue half of Milan. Whoever interfaced, opponents big or small, everyone looked to Ronaldo. And the eyes of the world were on Ronaldo on the evening of January the 4th, 1998, as he proudly displayed his Ballon d'Or prize to the San Siro faithful ahead of Inter Juventus. He may not have scored that night, but he still proved decisive. First, he got past Montero, then he resisted a lunging challenge from Giuliano before putting it on a plate for Yuri Jorkev who made no mistake from point-blank range. A goal that proved the winner, and that was worth three precious points. But Ronaldo was much more than goals and assists. His impact went way beyond that. He defied all logic. He was the shining light. Hopes passed through his magic feet and blistering pace. In fact, they used to jokingly suggest in those years that Inter's game plan was the following. Get the ball to Ronaldo, wait, then start celebrating. Of course, it was more complicated than that, but with the phenomenon in the team, anything felt possible. And never was that more apt than the night of March the 22nd, 1998, and the Derby della Madonnina against Milan. Having scored in the derby, Ronaldo set his sights on punishing another of Italy's storied clubs, Juventus. The two teams had been neck-and-neck neck all season long and met for a title showdown in Turin on April the 26th, 1998. Sadly, we all know how it finished. Giuliano clattering into Ronaldo, referee Ceccherini not awarding a penalty and the protests of coach Gigi Simoni. It's an open wound that still hurts, and a bitter pill for Ronaldo to swallow, even all these years on. But Inter's UEFA Cup adventure was a different matter altogether, and it's not by chance that we started this episode by making reference to Ronaldo in the UEFA Cup quarter-final against Schalke, a game decided by the phenomenon. 
Other standout moments in that campaign include overturning a 2-0 loss in France to Strasbourg to win 3-0 at San Siro with Ronaldo on the score sheet. In the semi-finals, Inter went toe-to-toe with Spartak Moscow. At San Siro, we won 2-1, courtesy of a last-gasp winner from Zerlias. In the return leg on an almost unplayable, ice-cold playing surface, things started going badly, going a goal down. But Ronaldo got things back on track on the cusp of half-time. Then, a piece of magic as Ronaldo danced his way through the Russian defence to complete the turnaround and seal Inter's spot in the final. The last hurdle for Inter to overcome were fellow Italian outfit Lazio. Zamorano, who would the following year give Ronaldo the number 9 jersey, opened the scoring. In the second period, Zanetti gave Inter a two-goal cushion and with 20 minutes left on the clock, Ronaldo put the match to bed in typical Ronaldo style. Moriero che ruba il primo pallone, attenzione e Ronaldo giudicato in posizione regolare. Attenzione Ronaldo salta anche Marchegiani e mette dentro 3-0. On that Parisian night of May the 6th, 1998, Ronaldo lifted the UEFA Cup to the skies wearing the Inter number 10 shirt. With that number on his back, Ronaldo enjoyed a standout season, the one in which he showed he could do it all. His best ever season in an Inter jersey, one that will forever and always be etched in the memories of all Nerazzurri supporters. Ronaldo was in full flood. He was in a class of his own that year. 34 goals in all competitions. But as we've already said, numbers alone don't tell the full tale of the man who will always be the phenomenon. A devastating mix of speed, technique, power and skill. All the ingredients to describe not only one of the best ever players the game has seen, but also that this proud and storied club has ever had the privilege to call an Inter player.